For Progressive Voices, I'm John Sinton, and this is a turning point. Today, a southern tale of grace. I'm just too sick of politics in general, and the former guy in particular, to spill inky electrons on them again this week. So, a respite from that to highlight some good in the world. To paraphrase Taylor Swift, Back when we were still trying to be better people, the South was tearing itself apart. Alabama's governor, the lately repentant George Wallace, threatened black school children. And Georgia's governor, Lester Maddox, defended his restaurant against black would-be patrons by standing in the doorway with an axe handle. We all know those stories because they continue to inflame our sense of decency. They remind us of people at their worst. There are less commonly told tales of grace and redemption from the South, and here is one such story. My late friend and colleague, the lovable Southern defender of the faith and American values, Wyke Orr, and you kind of have to love Southern names, don't you, told a coming-of-age story set in the early 60s in Atlanta. It seems there was a lot of talk about this new pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church downtown. He was following in his father's footsteps in the same way that a politician's son who seeks office is going into the family business. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. had assumed his father's pulpit and was the talk of the town, a town that found itself at the epicenter of the burgeoning civil rights movement. Atlanta, reliably the best marketed city in the South, billed itself as the city too busy to hate. A statement of conceit and hubris, sure, but it was said from the heart of the emerging coalition of black and white leaders there. Ivan Allen was the white mayor, one of the last ones, and he knew the only way to govern Atlanta was to get the cooperation of the big wigs of commerce, like Citizens and Southern Bank. Banks had not yet consolidated and were still a center of local policy, politics, and economic growth. They were accountable to local ownership and oversight. And, of course, the Coca-Cola Company, which until the rise of Delta Airlines, UPS, Georgia Pacific, Mercedes-Benz, and Porsche, was the biggest and most influential corporate entity in Atlanta. The city had always been run by white men, but its growing and restless black population was demanding a seat at the table. MLK led that successful effort. Well, One Sunday when he was 16, Wyke and a friend concocted a scheme whereby they'd get to go to Ebenezer and see Dr. King preach. Wyke said he was going to church with his friend's family that morning, and his friend told the same lie to his own parents. Free at last, sorry about that, they drove downtown to Sweet Auburn and crept into the back of the packed church. Coretta Scott King, the reverend's wife, spotted the only two white faces in the congregation and insisted they move up front with her. So much for discreetly observing the service. When Dr. King finished his sermon, the subject of which has long since been forgotten due to the events that followed, the boys rose to leave. The service had run a little longer than their home churches, and they knew that they needed to rush if they were to make it to lunch with their families, lest the game be up and their deceit revealed. As they made the move to go, the choir fired up and the entire congregation rose to its feet to celebrate the day in raucous gospel style. They were trapped. The music went on for most of the next hour, after which Mrs. King led them by the arm into the fellowship hall for refreshments. The little outing they had hoped to accomplish without drawing attention to themselves had gone terribly, delightfully in the retelling, though not at the time terribly wrong. 
The drive back to Gainesville would take an hour, and they were totally busted. The boys got in trouble. They lied, but Wyke, who would go on to a big career as a litigator, state legislator, common cause board member, and contributor to Progressive Voices, told his folks that they lied in the service of a higher goal. They had, in fact, gone to church, just not the one they told their parents about. They were grounded until they could grow full beards. The South is a land of dichotomy, a rich history of fabulous cooking and famous hospitality, and also a place that enslaved other human beings and fought a bloody civil war to maintain that so-called right. Like everywhere else, in the South you'll find acts of selflessness and selfishness. We lost Wyke to pancreatic cancer a few years ago. The last time I saw him, he was delivered by ambulance in a wheelchair to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award for his activism and civic commitment. Wyke was a fighter until the end, and a pretty great storyteller. For Progressive Voices, I'm John Sinton. Progressive Voices' John Sinton has written a continuing series called A Turning Point that touches on politics, culture, and media. You can hear the short essays in the on-demand section of ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. I'm Desi Doyen from Bradblog.com. And I'm Brad Friedman, also from Bradblog.com. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. CD quality audio, fewer commercials. And all your favorite progressive shows. Like Hartman, Miller, Malloy. And more. And instead of local commercials, you hear great features. Like the Bradblog's Green News Report. That is great. No local radio affiliate, no prob. We're mobile. We are where you are. So while you're visiting Bradblog.com, don't forget to listen to Progressive Voices. And don't forget to spread the word. 